0: Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays.
1: Our reading this morning is taken from Matthew's Gospel. That's chapter 11, reading from verses 25 to 30. You can find it on page 977 in our church Bibles. Matthew 11, Matthew chapter 11 reading from verse 25. At that time, Jesus said, "'I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, "'because you have hidden these things "'from the wise and learned, "'and revealed them to little children. "'Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. "'All things have been committed to me by my Father. "'No one knows the Son except the Father, And no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Thank you, Claire. We're going to sing again a hymn all about the wonderful help and comfort we find as we come. To the Lord Jesus. And so as the organ begins, let's stand to sing. Well, it was a great joy on Thursday evening to gather for a special welcome service for Johnny and Naomi as they move up to Sheffield and to uh, formally appoint Johnny as our new vicar here at Forward Church. And a great joy to have Johnny back here this morning to preach. Um, Johnny, before you preach, you very kindly agreed to answer just a few questions. So do come and join me here at the front if that's okay. And um, it's very good to have you here this morning. Uh, Johnny, I won't, I won't ask you um, whether you plan to support Sheffield Wednesday or Sheffield United. Um, that's a no-win uh, question, I won't put you there. But, um, welcome to Sheffield. Uh, is this the furthest north you've ever lived? Well, actually,
2: this is uh, returning to my motherland. I am uh, I'm originally from uh, Pontefract, or uh, as Duncan came up and said to me just now, hey, are you from Ponty?" And uh, that's exactly right. I was born in Wakefield. But I actually have lived in, uh, in the south now for many, many years. I went off to university and I gradually
0: moved further south until I eventually ended up in London. Well, you you mentioned London. I can imagine it's um, a big change moving from London to to here in Sheffield. Perhaps you could just tell us a bit about the context you've left in London. Yes,
2: so I ministered in London for 10 years, and um, right at the very center, just off Oxford Street, um, serving by the BBC in All Souls um, Langham Place. And that is uh, fast, um, quick, Full of people from all different nationalities, multicultural, and uh, a place of, of high energy, but exhausting. And uh, it's, a, it's always been a tension, to be absolutely honest with you. It's a love-hate relationship, but there is something lovely about coming back home, and I feel that very keenly. And so it's a joy to be with my people again, that's how I feel, to be back. Uh, don't tell London I said that. <laughs>
0: it is being live-streamed. Um, <laughs> Blank that bit. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But seriously, a a very warm welcome um, to Yorkshire, here at Forward Church. We're so glad you're here with us, and I'll hand over to you to bring God's Word to us. Thank you. Thank you, Pete.
2: Well, if you would turn to that passage that Claire read to us, and uh, it's a a joy to be with you this morning, but it's an even greater joy to open God's Word together. So uh, let's uh, let's have a look at that. Before we do that, though, would you join me uh, for... A word of prayer. Father, we pray that you would speak to us through your word this morning. Draw near to us, speak to us, and minister your grace to each one of us in your name. Amen. I wonder what's the greatest invitation that you have ever received, an invitation that was too good to refuse. It seems rather poignant now, but a few years ago, we received an invitation to a garden party at Buckingham Palace, and uh, obviously, we enjoyed the elegant and beautiful gardens, but the highlight was when a little white buggy stopped and we came face-to-face with Queen Elizabeth. At the heart of the Christian message is an invitation that is too good to resist. It's an invitation from King Jesus. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. It speaks to those of us who are heavy laden and weighed down with the worries and cares of this life. The communion table is a place we bring our heavy hearts to seek forgiveness, but also to seek reassurance and receive that healing touch from our Savior. And Thomas Crammer took the, uh, the uh, words of invitation that Jesus spoke and incorporated them into the common book of prayer. So when worshippers come in a traditional Anglican communion service to the table, they're invited to listen to the comfortable words our Savior Christ saith unto all that truly turn to him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I will give you relief. I will give you strength and encouragement. I will give you hope and cheer. We need hope in this life, don't we? Without it, we shrivel and gradually wither inside. And here, this morning, we're given comfortable words of hope. And it's the greatest invitation we will ever receive. It's the greatest invitation we will ever receive because it addresses the greatest need that we have. Now, these words of invitation are familiar to all of us, aren't they? But what is the context in which Jesus spoke them? What prompted him to make such an offer? And if you turn back a few pages in your Bibles, you'll notice that at the beginning of chapter 8, Jesus has just come down from the mountainside. He then cleanses a leper, heals the centurion's servant, calms the storm, restores two demon-possessed men, and raises a dead girl. We see here Jesus is ministering to a world broken and burdened by the consequences of sin. Jesus is actually still only a few months into his public ministry. But we can see already how the lostness and the brokenness of the people around him has affected him. We're told there in chapter 9 verse 36. When he saw the people coming to him harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd... He felt compassion for them. He was moved out of sympathy for them. His humanity towards suffering people is stirred within him. Their pain touches a raw nerve. And Jesus responds by sending out the 12 disciples out into the local villages. He sends a couple to Bethsaida, another couple to Karazim, and so on, all within two or three um, walking, uh, miles walking distance. To multiply Jesus' ministry of healing and to bring the good news of hope to people. He sends out an invitation to come to Jesus. To come to the fountain of life. To come to the fountain that never runs dry. But the response is disappointing. It's deeply discouraging. The invitation is spurned. And in chapter 11, verse 21, we're given Jesus' reaction. Woe to Chorazim! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. It's a sober reminder that not all Jesus' words are comfortable. Here, then, is the context of our passage. The people have rejected Jesus, and subsequently, Jesus has condemned them for their failure to repent and put their faith in him. They've snubbed a cure to their cancer, choosing to ignore the problem rather than seek an answer to their greatest need. It's a pretty bleak picture. Sadly, it's a familiar one all around us the rejection of the offer of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yet, as our nation mourned the death of the Queen these past weeks, did you notice how deeply held Christian longings came to the surface? People who hardly ever darkened the door of their local church popped in to sit silently for a while uh, while they signed, a book, uh, signed the book of condolence. People lit candles and queued for hours on end. They bought flowers on an industrial scale and bowed and crossed themselves in front of a coffin, perhaps even without really knowing what they were doing. Perhaps our country isn't as secular as we've assumed. Perhaps new gospel opportunities are there for us in our neighborhood as a church. The locals have rejected Jesus. But this actually is only half the story. There's actually a lot more going on here, as we'll see. Take a look at the opening verse of our passage, verse 25. The words there are intriguing. We're eavesdropping here on a conversation, a private conversation between Jesus, the Son of God, as he speaks to his Father, in response to the hard-hearted rejection of him by the people. I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Jesus is thanking his Father for deliberately disguising the message of salvation, of concealing it from the wise and learned. Now, I imagine one or two of us consider uh, that we know one or two things, that we have a measure of wisdom some of us may even uh, be considered to be, uh, to be um, learned in our field of work. So what's going on? On the one hand, Jesus is denouncing people for not believing, verse 20. And then on the other hand, verse 25, he's saying the truth was hidden from them. Is Jesus being here deliberately deceptive? Is he saying one thing in public? And then in private, something completely different? Something completely contradictory? What's happening here? You see, Jesus wants us, you and me, to know what is going on as people reject his glorious offer. He wants us to understand what the deeper thought process is in those friends and family who spurn the invitation to come to him. The word wise here in verse 25 speaks of a sound mind or prudence. The word learned is intelligent, quick to apprehend. So the implication is that those who consider themselves to have knowledge in and of themselves, God hides himself from them. You see, the hard truth is that the people of Charazim, of Bethsaida, Capernaum, were arrogant. They thought that they can do this life without God. He's an optional extra to family life. Like, do we need a dog to make us happy? You see, they think that they have risen up to the heavens, that they sit above God, the Lord of heaven and earth. They're not prepared to learn from their creator. And Jesus praises God the Father, that he hides himself from people like that and reveals himself to the humble child. Look at verse 25 again. Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. The word little children here doesn't refer to the gullible or naive. He's speaking rather about those who are prepared to listen. And the suggestion is that there are two kinds of people. There are those who are ready to listen, prepared to learn, Then there are those who are wise in their own eyes. And God the Father deliberately conceals himself from them. He will not be found by those who think they know. Instead, he openly discloses himself to the person who comes like a little child and says, Yes, teach me Jesus. Here I am. I'm ready to learn in humility. I don't know everything, but I'm hungry to know you better. The point is is that if we come to Jesus ready to be taught, then he will show us wonderful things from his word. And I think that is a fantastic place for us to start together right at the beginning of our time. Now we want, don't we, to find rest for our souls. And how are we to do this? We're to come to Jesus. We're to come humbly. We're to come with the right attitude were to come teachable. You know what a wonderful thing it is for us to have at the very heart of our life together here on our Sunday and midweek in our small groups. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and reveal them to little children. The Reverend Benjamin Palmer tells a story of a man who burst into his study irritated because Palmer had been saying in his preaching that on the one hand, they must come to Jesus Christ, but on the other hand, they cannot come because they're so dead in their trespasses and sins that they are unable to do what they must do. And the man says to, to Palmer, you preachers are full of contradictions. And Palmer, without lifting His head is he's continuing continuing to write, he says, if you think that you can do it yourself, then do it yourself. And there's a, a long pause. And the man says, But I've been trying to come to Jesus Christ, and I cannot. And I cannot. Palmer repeats back to the man. That puts an entirely different complexion on things. Let's go together to our God in heaven in prayer. Come to me. Friends, this is the greatest invitation we will ever receive because it addresses the greatest need that we have. And the greatest need that we have is to deal with our sin The day of judgment that Jesus has spoken about in the previous passage. That's our greatest need. How can I stand before my creator acquitted? How can I come to the throne of almighty God on the day of judgment? And Jesus says, come to me. This then is the greatest invitation because it addresses the greatest need that we have. In the second place, this is the greatest invitation we will ever receive because it reveals the greatest person we will ever meet. Now when you, when you come to, to God in, in prayer, when you come to him and, and seek him, which aspect of Jesus's character do you find uh, easiest to relate to? Is it um, Jesus who's seated at the right hand of the throne of God, who is uh, sitting there in all his glory, who's mediating your prayers on your behalf to the Father? Or is it Jesus Jesus the friend, uh, the one who sticks closer to us than our brother. For Jesus is not only fully God, he is also fully human. And we're given a glimpse of both aspects of this in our passage. And it's one of those passages, actually, that we could spend weeks, months, expounding these astonishing words. This astonishing self-revealing on the part of Jesus Christ. Verse 27, all things have been committed, handed over, to me by my Father, no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son. In other words, the source of all knowledge and the only source of knowledge about God, of any certainty and credibility, is to be found in Jesus Christ. Do you notice there it says, All things, not just some things, have been interested to me by my Father, says Jesus? So that everything there is to know about God the Father. All of his work, or knowledge of him, everything he wants us to know is entrusted to the Lord Jesus Christ. So if we come to him, we have come to the source of knowledge concerning the living God. And the word know is a specific word in this case. And it speaks of more than knowing something about someone, like their name or what job they do. It is knowing someone in an intimate way in which we know our loved ones. Now Jesus, so obvious from this passage, is so evidently loved by his father. He's adored and loved as a son. The father is so proud of his son. It's what gives him his stability, not easily knocked by the onslaught of trials he must endure. It's what gives him his ability to give of himself so fully, so generously, and so thoughtfully. It's what gives him his gentility. Having received nothing but mercy from his Father, he in turn looks to reciprocate such grace and kindness to those he meets. Because he knows the pain that we hide behind our middle class fronts. Here is the Lord Jesus Christ disclosing his divinity. He and the Father are one. You see, Jesus is not just simply part of the family, but he shares in common with the Father the same nature. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus has been given a unique position in regard to the Father. He's also been entrusted to a unique disclosure by the Father. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, he says. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Isn't that rather limiting? To To whoever the Son chooses to reveal God to, to disclose God to. Did you notice back there in verse 25 how full of joy Jesus is as he starts his conversation with his father? I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. He's full of joy because he's about to say something of enormous importance to his disciples, of enormous importance to you and to me. Who does Jesus choose to reveal his father to? The invitation is to everyone. It's not just to the religious and the good. No matter what our experience of church has been, no matter what our moral standing is, Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. And we know, we know this to be true. We've encountered the relentless, unrestrained, lavish outpouring of God's grace. We also continually read about it in the Bible. Then the word of the Lord. Remember this? The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh. God is saying, I'm giving you a second chance. And he does the same again and again throughout the Old Testament with the people of Israel. And it's very easy as we look at this passage together to miss one incredibly important point as part of the whole context of the narrative, something potentially life-changing, it's easy to miss that this invitation to come to me has already been spurned once. Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for spurning me. And yet, despite that, notice, in his next breath, Jesus makes the invitation to come to him again. Isn't that beautiful? See, the core message of the gospel is an invitation to make a fresh start. As sinners who have rebelled against our creator, as Christians who've lost our way. Goodness me, COVID was tough, wasn't it? It's not been easy. Here we are, we're offered another chance. It's a message of you can have a fresh start. But the gospel is also a message of you can have fresh starts plural Now only we only we know where we are spiritually But I want you to hear clearly this morning you can have a fresh start today God comes to you a second time Don't listen to the lies of the evil one, who whispers in your ear, you've really messed up this time. There's no hope for change, no hope for forgiveness. See, the message of the gospel, the message of grace is this, the message of your heavenly Father is this, I will come to you a second time, and a third time, and a fourth time, and as long as it takes. Jesus here has revealed something of his divinity. And then in the next sentence, verse 28, he gives a little glimpse of his humanity. And it's one of those, uh, those, uh, those occurrences, uh, one of those only occurrences in the whole of the gospel where Jesus tells us something of his own character. For I am gentle and humble in heart. Do you know what that means? It says, I can take anything to Jesus because he's gentle and kind. I can take my ugliest sin and confess it to him. I can take my doubts, my secrets, my fears. And there'll be no lectures like mum and dad. And there'll be no tirade because he's gentle and humble. It was John Calvin who said, Christ has put on our feelings along with our flesh. Have you ever wondered how dispirited the disciples must have felt on their return? They have sought, oh boy, that they, they sought to be faithful and live for God. But it was tough. And Jesus says, come to me. It's a reminder that this is a word of invitation to his disciples who are buffeted and burdened by life as much as to the sinner who needs to make peace with God. It's an open invitation to all of us to come with all of our struggles. Bring them to me, Jesus says. I've got them and I've got you too. Jesus, you see, can lift the burdens of life's struggles, the burden of children who break our hearts, the burden of aging parents losing their memory, getting frailer day by day, the burden of it, the weight of it, the burden of loss, the burden of regret, of that missed opportunity. I wish, I'd only said that. Or I wish I'd not said that. Jesus says, my dear friend, are you weary? Are you heavy laden? I understand. I feel your pain, your weariness too. Come to me. I will give you rest. It's not a promise that our struggles will go away. It's rather more a promise that even in the midst of the greatest struggle, we can rest in the confidence that the Lord has got it. This then is the greatest invitation we will ever receive because it addresses the greatest need that we have and it introduces us to the greatest person that we will ever meet. And thirdly, this is the greatest invitation we will ever receive because it provides the greatest solution that we can ever imagine. Nobody, nobody has described, although Nathaniel and team did have, a, have an attempt to do that just now, but nobody has described more dramatically than John Bunyan in the Pilgrim's Progress, the exhilaration of losing the burden of sin and re- receiving rest. Let me just read a quote to you. Up this way, therefore, did burdened Christian run but not without great difficulty because of the load on his back. He ran thus till he came at a place somewhat ascending, and upon that place stood a cross, and a little below in the bottom a sepulcher, a grave. So I saw in my dream that just as Christian came up with the cross, his burden loosed from off his shoulders and fell from off his back and began to tumble and so continued to do so till it came to the mouth of the sepulchre where it fell in, never to be seen again. Then was Christian glad and lightsome and said with a merry heart, he hath given me rest by his sorrow and life by his death. Then he stood still a while to look and wonder for it was very surprising to him that the sight of the cross should ease him of his burden. You know, in the New Testament, there are certain passages which gather up the whole of the Christian life in a very few words. And one of these is verses 28 to 30. And you'll note in these verses that the Christian life falls into two very perceptible stages. The Christian life begins with contact that brings about a commitment. And there are parallels in marriage. Those of us who are married know that the story uh, all began on that first occasion when we met, contact, and then commitment followed. And you'll also notice that these two aspects of the, uh, the Christian life are marked here by a double use of the word rest. It occurs once in verse 38, uh, 28 and again in verse 29. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest, contact. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, Commitment. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So there's a rest that is given, imparted, and there's a rest that is found. It's not the same rest. It it happens to have the same word in the original language, but it's not the same experience. So we may sit here this morning as Christians, with troubled spirits, and rest, quite honestly, seems aloof, if not possible at all. You see, the second rest is dependent upon a quite different activity. Take my yoke upon you. And a yoke is a heavy wooden beam that binds two oxen together and makes them a team. Uh, You see, the yoke is an invitation to partnership. And to direction, it means submission to control. It speaks of a a willing coming to the Lord Jesus. Here I am. I am yours. I surrender. You're my king and I serve you. I make it my goal to learn how to serve him, how to please him, what he likes, what he dislikes. It's about realizing that my life is not my own and it's about releasing control to Jesus, even sometimes releasing control to these circumstances that we're in and saying, your will, not my will, be done. And it's then that we can find rest in the middle of mayhem, waiting for Jesus to calm the storm. Among the many lessons imparted by Bunyan in Progress Is that struggle is indicative of the human experience. Furthermore, it seems that God has both a purpose in the burdens we bear, as as, as well as a plan for our eventual relief. And it's a reminder of the importance of the struggle in our journey of faith, and the equal importance of enduring to the end. But at times, let's be honest. We feel that quitting is our only option. We just can't do it anymore. So let me urge you this morning not to quit. I'm not saying this as an imperative, do this, do that. But I'm saying we don't have to quit because dealing with this is not dependent on us. This moment of wanting to give up is when we cry out to God, I can't do it. I've had enough. It's too hard. I messed up too much. And hear his voice saying, Come unto me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Do you want rest this morning? Are you tired? Tired of fighting? The same sins. Tired of the same old battles. Tired of the relentless disappointments life can bring. Tired of other people. And the disappointments they can be. Other Christians even. Now we don't know one another yet. I don't know your stories. I don't know your struggles. You don't know mine. Even this past week some of you will have had pain. And suffering. Some of you carry long term hard things I don't know about. So, what do I know? I know a gentle, loving, kind, humble Savior. A Savior whose love for you and for me took him to the cross, took him to the point when his father turned his back on him at the moment he was in greatest anguish. So Jesus can say to us, take your burden to the cross. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Whatever you're carrying today, he offers you rest. Will you come to him? Amen. Well, let's just take a moment to be quiet, a moment to pray, and then I'll pray for us. He hath given me rest by his sorrow and life by his death. Father, we we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the hope that he gives each one of us. For the sacrifice that he made. That he is seated at the right hand of the Father interceding on our behalf. But also that he is that friend who sticks closer than a brother. Hear our heart cries this morning we ask in your name. Amen.